So as we're just a few days into the new year, we figured it'd be good to get a read on what kind of trends and events we should be watching for this year. So to get that list, we're on the line this week with Matt Margulies from the US China Business Council in Washington, DC. I'm Ian Hutchinson, and this is the China Business Minute. Matt Margulies is our Vice President for China Operations in Beijing. Matt, welcome back to the pod and uh, Happy New Year. Hey, Ian. Good to be back and Happy New Year to you as well. All right. So we're just kicking off 2022. And I figure now is as, as good a time as any to take a look at you know what's ahead. So, I mean, without necessarily making any predictions, you know, no one wants to be in that business. Uh, what are you looking out for over the next 12 months in China that the American business community should be monitoring? It's a great question. I'll do my best to tackle it. There are uh, a bunch of issues to look at, but I'd probably break it down into four key topics, the economy, politics, economic regulation, and of course, US-China relations. There's also a fifth topic here, travel and COVID, which I'm not going to cover because it's really so unpredictable and frankly would take more time than we have for this podcast. But of those items, the first thing I'm looking at are the impacts of China's property market slowdown on China's economy. As we all know and have discussed on this podcast in the past, economic growth in China, consumption, personal wealth, and local government fiscal health are all closely linked to China's property market. Now, we saw a fair amount of economic stress in China in the third and fourth quarters last year, and a lot of this was linked to Evergrande and to the property market. By now, in January 2022, we've seen that Evergrande specifically has kind of muddled into a sort of state-managed default or liquidation, and the systemic risks of an Evergrande default, frankly, were, were overhyped. But the broader economic implications of a property slowdown in China remain important. Now, some predict that slowdowns in China's property market will continue through the end of the year, and that by the end of 2022, we'll actually be at 2010 levels of property sales as a percent of China's overall GDP. So that means going from 15% of GDP today to about 10% of GDP by the end of the year. Now, there are a lot of um, secondary or second order effects of that um, GDP slowdown and that GDP shift. Um, that we don't necessarily need to cover today. But needless to say, part of such a slowdown is likely necessary, but a painful correction that many observers have really been calling for China to make uh, for a long time. Parts of that slowdown would be attributable to really this necessary government-managed deflation of the property bubble, but also a recognition that China's urbanization drive and, um, frankly, its population growth have maybe peaked and slowed or stopping. Property tax, of course, is also one element of all this that we saw a proposal towards um, implementing at the end of 2021. Um, So let's see if or how that proceeds in 2022. Will it be robust and a bold new era of government financing, or will it be a relatively modest proposal? So that's the first item I'm looking at. The second thing I'm watching is common prosperity and the focus or crackdown on technology or internet platforms or the private sector in China. Now, I don't want to draw too explicit a link between these items, but there is some practical governance issues in China that are likely trying to be addressed through some of these campaigns. And I think common prosperity is kind of a general label that's being uh, applied to a lot of this. We know the government is grappling with a few macro challenges about the country's future development, right? How do we overcome the middle income trap? How do we overcome an aging population and demographic challenges? 
how do we shift our economic model to productive growth and consumption? How do we grow our economy through technology and innovation? And how do we do this when we're faced with an external trade and political environment that is not very welcoming in a way that it was in the past, right? So how does, how does the Chinese government work on or answer these questions? Well, that's something that is definitely important to keep, keep monitoring in 2022. I'd say there's less focus on growth purely for growth's sake. We've seen growth targets less important now, less emphasized in a lot of China's um, key economic conferences and, and planning documents like the 14th Five-Year Plan, which is good for avoiding unproductive growth. We also see a focus on increasing China's technological capacities, innovation capacities, um, and an effort to rein in private companies, maybe that it may not be contributing necessarily to the state's broader goals of kind of this hard science and hard tech. And so that's kind of the second macro theme I'm looking at for 2022. The third thing I'm looking at, which would fall in the kind of economic regulation bucket, is the future of China's data economy and the role for foreign companies in it. Amidst the common prosperity arrival in 2021, we also saw the emergence of new elements of China's data and privacy regimes. Uh, there were, of course, the abrupt actions taken against Didi in July 2021 following its IPO and the growing link between data and China's view of national security. We also saw passage of two seminal laws, the data security law and the personal information protection law, which form the final two legs of China's cyber data and privacy regimes, which we've been waiting for for a while. But as we've grown accustomed, the three legs of the stool are just really the foundation and there's still a lot of gaps to be filled in, right? A lot of key terms and processes and thresholds that are pretty critical to compliance with these rules that have not been defined yet were only in draft form. And so I strongly expect a lot of those rules to take greater shape in 2022. Now that doesn't mean that compliance will be simple or easy or affordable once the rules come out, but I think it means we'll have much needed clarity about China's data, privacy, and cyber regimes. And then fourth, lastly, and perhaps most importantly, uh, something I'm monitoring in 2022 is, is what's in store for U.S.-China relations, especially as it pertains to business, right? We've had a lot of questions throughout the first year of the Biden administration about where things are headed. If we look today, we have the imminent conclusion of the purchases component of the U.S.-China Phase 1 trade agreement. We have billions in tariffs in place for imports on each other's goods by both governments still in place. Um, we have very political years ahead in both countries, right? Midterm elections in November 2022 in the U.S. and the 20th Party Congress in China in roughly the same time period. Now, my expectation today is that both sides would prefer to focus on domestic political issues this year during these periods, which um, could mean that there is some stability or desire for stability without major changes in the bilateral relationship. But at the same time, you do have various legislation and congressional activity that might change that dynamic over the next 12 months, whether it's the Uyghur Forced Labor Prevention Act, which has a six-month phase-in period. I think it starts in uh, implementation officially begins in late June of 2022. How's that going to affect company supply chains and the political dynamics of the relationship? We've seen worrying signals from inside China about boycotts recently, which I certainly hope is a bug and not really a feature going forward. Um, but we also have the U.S. Innovation and Competition Act and when or if that will get concluded and will it spur some investment in domestic R&D and efforts toward localization of semiconductor fabrication in the U.S. And then, of course, China could become a topic in the midterm elections in the U.S., bringing its own set of uncertainties. Now, that's a lot. Uh, thankfully, the U.S. should have its new ambassador, Nick Burns, in place in Beijing soon, and we can hope for a continued rollout 
of the administration's China strategy. So in short, those are the things I'm looking at for the next 12 months. Of course, USCBC will still be active working on all these issues and look forward to working with all of our stakeholders and members um, and various partners throughout the year um, for a very successful and prosperous years. All right. Well, there's a few things for us all to keep an eye on. I'm sure we'll be hearing from you later this year on some or all of them. So thanks so much for taking the time, Matt. We appreciate it. As always, it's a pleasure to chat with you, Ian. Thank you for having me and look forward to speaking again. Again, Matt Margulies is our Vice President for China Operations in Beijing. China Business Minute is a production of the U.S. China Business Council. You can always learn more about the work that we do on our website, uschina.org. If you like the show, please do give it a rating and review. It helps other people to find it. As always, thank you very much for listening, and we will be back next week.